Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Well, happy Cinco de Mayo, the great guacamole celebration. Tomorrow night, Newcomer's Night, and uh, come one, come all. Uh, it's a great might, opportunity for me to articulate to you what this church is all about. Uh, we're much, much more than uh, 1045 service. And if you want to know what we are at our, our core, uh, what makes us tick, and uh, what we are outside the walls of this church, please come. We'd love to spend some time with you. I don't know if we'll have guacamole. Maybe we can put that in the, the request, but I know we'll have some incredible desserts. This morning, we are going to end our time together with communion. Oftentimes, we have it earlier in the service, and uh, we have noticed that some of you uh, miss out because of uh, coming at an inordinate time. (laughs) So uh, I'm glad that we'll be celebrating together the Lord's Supper but I want us to prepare our hearts by looking at 1 John chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let me set the, the ball on the tee for you about where we're going today. When you turn to John chapter 5, it's really obvious. One of the things I do when I, when I prepare and study, I'll just read the passage over and over and over and over. Uh, oftentimes, we get stuck in the, in the brush And we miss the big picture. We miss the forest. But if you read a passage over and over again, it begins to speak to you as to what is the most important thing on the writer's heart, in this case, the Apostle John. And as we come to chapter 5, what really stands out is victory. What really stands out is overcoming, becoming confident in our faith, not mamsy-pamsy, kind of sort of wishy-washy, but absolute conquerors because of our faith in Jesus. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And I want to pray before we get into the passage, but let me say some more about that. In ancient times, there was a Greek goddess whose name was Niki similar to a word that you've seen on tennis shoes and running shoes (laughs) called Nike. Well, if you want to upset the CEO of Nike, just go around saying, cool Nikes, (laughs) because that's actually how you pronounce her name, the goddess, and that's where Nike got their name and uh, the branding and all of that. So, Uh, Let me show you a picture of her from ancient Ephesus. The reason I wanted you to see this stone statue is because it's still visible today if you were to go to Ephesus. And John is writing to the people in Ephesus. You'll remember that's where he ended up. It's just the island of Patmos is a little bit off. And then he Once he's back from Patmos, he's back in Ephesus again. This is where Jesus' mother Mary ended up in Ephesus. And uh, the people in Ephesus knew about this goddess, Niki. She was celebrated. She's not only celebrated then, but she's still celebrated. Here's a picture of her in, a statue of her in London. 
Yeah, uh, Hyde Park, you've probably seen this. It's a little more powerful. This is a statue of her in Mexico City. This is a statue of her in Berlin. And you see what she's always carrying is the wreath. And the wreath is the wreath of overcoming. The wreath is the wreath of winner, victorious. And the idea is that she would fly around. She's a winged goddess, and she would fly around and pick someone to be the winner. It wasn't that she showed up after an athletic event to bequeath the wreath on the winner. She showed up beforehand, and that's why the winner won. She showed up before the battle was over, and that's why the army was victorious, is because Nike chose you to be the victor. So today, we're going to see this word, Nike, show up over and over again in John's writing. And John wants you to know that you are the victor. In John chapter uh, 1, verse 4, he says, For everyone born of God, Nike, overcomes, is the winner, is the conqueror over the world. Isn't that cool? The world has challenged this kind of thinking and diminished the idea of what it means to be a confident person, an overcomer, a victorious person. And we, we've dumbed it down. We've dumbed it down to the three Bs, beauty, brains, and bucks. If you're beautiful, then you're amazing. If you're uh, rich, you're amazing. If you're athletic, you're amazing. The rest of us, not so much. Obviously, we know that that can't be what makes a person victorious. There's got to be something deeper than that. Or then there's the three Ps, possessions, position, status, or people who you know. That's what makes you important. It's got to be some other bigger thing than that. If you look online to see what makes someone a confident winner, overcomer, there's all kinds of prescriptions that you can find. Uh, one is for you to wake up, before you get out of bed, imagine yourself as a confident overcomer. Just lay there in bed. And then the second thing is when you get out of bed, look in the mirror and tell yourself, you're awesome. And then the third thing you can do is try something that you've never been able to do before or you've been fearful of doing and see if you can become victorious. Well, I think of those and I think, wow, that's a, that's a recipe for failure. Because if I just lay in bed and say, I can imagine myself failing. I look in the mirror and I say, you're awesome. And someone says back to me, no, you're not. <laughs> or if I try something that I am fearful that I might fail at, well, what if I do? John deals with something deeper in its spiritual failure. All the way back to the garden, the fact that we, we know, we're, we're on to it, that we're not who we were made to be. And how do we become that? And John's answer is, 
you are now, but it's not through you. It's through, through Jesus Christ. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the truth of your word. And we pray, Father, that by your spirit you would do for us what all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot do, uh, that you yourself would breathe your spirit on us and put the wreath on us of overcoming. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So John begins chapter five, and the whole chapter five is about confident overcoming. And he begins in verse one to tell you and I that your identity is now in Christ, that it's, it's all about Christ and your faith in him. So watch what he says here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands aren't burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? The only one who believes, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So John has been setting us up throughout this book for the culmination of you deciding, now that we're coming to the end of the book, you're an overcomer. He wants you to know that. So I suspect that the false teachers that John is counteracting have somehow been undermining the reader's faith and, and getting them to doubt who they really are and what Christ has done for them. Let me take you back to 1 John chapter 2, the first time we saw the word Niki occur. I am writing to you, verse 13, young men, because you have, there is the word, overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Chapter 4, verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So something in them has caused them to doubt for John to spend this inordinate amount of time saying, come on, little buddy, you can do it. You're amazing. They, something has undermined their faith. The false teachers, and this we know from outside uh, ancient literature all the way back to the second century, uh, and I've shared this before, but the Gnostics, the word gnosis comes from, is the word knowledge, and uh, it had the idea that these, these false teachers had come into this church and, and other churches within Christianity to begin to undermine. And Christianity has always had various kinds of heresies come through. We, we had an extreme heresy come through 100 years ago here in America, uh, teachers began to say, well, we know that scientifically people can't really get up from the dead. We know that miracles really don't happen. 
So Jesus was just a good teacher, and, um, and what our unique calling as Christians is to be good to other people. And, and I was raised in a church like that. And you would say, well, whoa, 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 where is the cross? Where is the resurrection? Well, in the same way, they were doing that in the very first century. Only they had the thinking, instead of whether miracles happen or don't, theirs was spirituality is good, physical is bad. It sounds like Dana Carvey imitating George Bush. You know, (laughs) spiritual good, physical bad. And so with that, you know that God, the Son of God, cannot become incarnate. He cannot. That would be bad. So what happened? So they rewrote the script and said that there was just this guy from Nazareth named Jesus. He wasn't the son of God. And after his baptism, the spirit came on him. And now he had this special anointing. And before the cross, before death, which would be bad, the spirit left Jesus, and so it was just that time period that he was a physical Messiah who was anointed. They went on to say that if you follow me, I'll teach you the higher knowledge. You'll spend more time meditating, you'll spend more time getting the various levels of secret knowledge like I have. The result of that was them to begin to doubt the basic faith that they had in Jesus Christ. I guess, I I don't know if I'm saved, I guess if he really didn't die, then I I don't know. And, And their Christianity moved into Gnostic Christianity. The paramount teacher of this was a man named Serenthus. And Tertullian, uh, in the second century, writes heavily about this and letting us know, well, this was the heartbeat of the land, Ephesus, right there, where John is seeing the beginnings of this teaching. And he wants them to know it is faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ did all that we think he did. So he writes to them, and he's wanting them to find their confidence again in Jesus Christ. So let me have you just look at at this this verse again, verse 4. This is the victory. This is the the Niki that has overcome, there's the word again, the world, even our faith. He's taking him back to faith. Who is it that overcomes the word again three times? Only he who believes. So He says, he who believes and our faith. This is where we need to find our victory. No matter what is coming at us, faith is the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is trust in the person of Christ. So now, if we'll go back to one, this sets it up for the logic because John is moving real quickly here and at first it doesn't seem... Uh, that all these verses string together logically, but hopefully you'll see the logic of it. In verse 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves God, loves the Father, loves his child as well. 
these two things, John has been pulsating through his book. Faith and love, faith and love. You can't have one without the other. It's the way it goes, faith and love. And he's argued that this is the proof of your salvation, you believe, and God has put love in you for other people. In fact, let me show you on the screen all the verses. I went back and collected all the verses where John has argued believing in Jesus is the evidence that you're a Christian and loving God's children is also the evidence that God is working in you. You couldn't be more redundant, John. He wants us to learn the truth about faith and love. Then he goes on to make a statement that we've already touched on in this book as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. As a pastor and counselor, anytime I get to the word command or obey, I can see it on the counselee's face, like, ugh. Uh, can't I just believe but not obey? It, 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 it's impossible. Obedience is just simply uh, tangible love. That's what, that's what it is. Obedience is tangible love. It's boundaries. It's markers of what love is actually about. So John has been using the O word, the four-letter O word, obey, over and over again, so that we might understand. He's back in chapter 4, verse 21. He has given us this command. Here it is. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And we talked about that, where we said, oh, do I have to? Do I have to love this person? And, and the answer is, yeah, you got to. No one who has seen the face of God, who is love, can turn and say, now I'm going to hate you or despise you or dislike you intensely. Jesus, back in the gospel, says, if you love me, John 14, you will obey what I command. And this is my command, that you love one another. So this is very, very basic. You and I, as, as Christians, we don't need higher knowledge. We don't need mysterious stuff. It's really quite basic. We grow by believing and trusting Jesus and by loving the people around us. Hello? If anyone says to me, yeah, but I want the, di the deeper stuff, Pastor. You know, I, I, want the, I want the mystery of how it's all going to happen. And who is, You know what? Conquer this and come back, and we'll talk about the rest. <laughs> Trust in Jesus through trials, through doubting, through temptation, through hardship, through joys, and love other people as he has loved you. Now, you might say, but this is hard. This is so hard. And John's also got you there. He says, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. I had to go through some deep introspection in my own life. And sometimes I still have to revisit this because 
I don't know, you could psychoanalyze me and figure out what's all wrong about me. You probably already have. But uh, I, even though I come across as, as Mr. Rogers, you know, I am a very inwardly driven person. I wake up driven, uh, and, and there's something in me that always is saying faster, more, harder, faster, more, better. And so I'm inner driven, and I, I project that onto God, that God is that way towards me. Anybody else have an image of God this way? Three of us, we could do kind of group therapy together. <laughs> Plus, if you add to that something called capricious, then we're really in trouble. Capricious means kind of whimsical, where God just gets out of the wrong side of the bed and says, I think I... I choose you to give you some trials today. I choose you to give you some heartache just because I choose you. And, and so you have a God that's faster, more, harder, and you lucky guy, I'm going to give you some problems. And now you just you tell yourself, follow that God. Love that God. Worship that God, Right? You're looking at me like I've, I've just exposed too much to you. Um, how do you do that? Well, you have to go back to Scripture and reorient your false theology with true Scripture. And John is telling us that this faster, harder, grievous, more burdensome God doesn't exist. That is not him. Jesus made it clear in Matthew eleven twenty eight, where he says, come to me. And if you read the context of Matthew 11, it is in the context uh, of a, a driven Judaism that the Pharisees had created. They'd taken the Torah, the law, and they said, okay, well, how do we fulfill the Torah? All, uh, whatever it is, 444 laws. Well, I know, let's create the Mishnah, which is the oral tradition that tells us 10 things about how to fulfill each of the one things. So now multiply 444 times 10, and now you got the Mishnah. And then out of that, they said, how about the Talmud? And the Talmud would, will help us to fulfill the Mishnah, which will help us to fulfill the Torah. And so... The Pharisees were putting these weights on people to follow God. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, not the Talmud, not the Mishnah, learn of me, the author of the Torah, and you will find rest uh, you, you'll find that I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find ah, rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Put simply, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit climbs inside of you, which is the law written on your heart, and he begins to change your heart to want to love people the way God has loved you. There's the Christian life, right? So this leads us back 
to verses four and five where it says this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And again, he says, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he is the one who overcomes. Folks, we gotta, 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 gotta believe. Trust. The best way to think about faith is surrender. We use the expression, can I trust you? And that's the faith question. Can you trust Jesus? And the answer is absolutely. So he assures the little children of Ephesus, John does, but this is reassuring for you and me that you and I are called to be overcomers. Can we show the screen of the one with the four horses and uh, the, the Niki that's carrying the wreath? Yeah, from London, thank you. That you are an overcomer. That's who you are. You are the conqueror. How many of you watched uh, the Kentucky Derby yesterday? Very controversial thing. By the way, I, I announced that I watched it yesterday and it looked like they were all concerned about me that I bet on horses. And I, you know, I'm not here to, to promote that at all. I'm just, I just think it's fascinating to watch these animals run. These animals run. But you know that the first place winner was disqualified. First time in the history of the Kentucky Derby. And um, the crowd there thought it was a shame uh, because everyone was rooting for the winner and it seemed like he was the winner. But nevertheless, uh, they, they felt that he'd crossed over a couple lanes and impeded one of the horses. So the second place horse won. Um, to make it even more amazing is the second place horse had never won a race, ever. And the odds were 65 to one that this horse would win. And when they decided that this second place winner was actually now called the winner, uh, they placed the wreath on this horse and it, you know, the crowd obviously didn't like it and they booed, which is um, difficult for the, the now winner. But uh, I thought to myself, wow, that's kind of like me. You know, everybody thought that, you know, someone else should be the winner. But because of Jesus, you're the winner. The wreath is placed on your head. And because he's placed it on your head, it's not because he checked you out and you're so amazing. You know, he's, he's not like Santa Claus, checking the list twice, if you've been naughty or nice, he says, wow, you've been amazing this year, Mark, 2019. You get the wreath. No. He places it on you before the race is over. And he asks you to believe now who you really are. The battle you are in is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. The battle you are in is to believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not in yourself. You can high-five yourself all you want in the mirror and wake up and imagine, I am awesome. I am so awesome. I am here to pump you up, Mark. But the truth of the matter is your awesomeness is found in another person. 
who now puts the wreath on your head and says, you're the overcomer. It's true of your sin. It's true of your sin, that your sin tells me that you should be judged, but Jesus says, I have taken that sin upon me. It's true of your doubts. Even though your doubts could be felt and measured all day long, There is one bigger than your doubt, and that's Jesus who died for your sin, rose again from the dead. It's in your trials, your hardships, your testings, in everything. Jesus puts on you the wreath of victor. John is the only one that uses this word, Niki. Paul uses it once. The rest of the New Testament, only John. Paul uses it in in Romans 12 where he says, uh, don't don't allow uh, yourself to be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Be the victor of evil with good. But John uses it over and over again, even into Revelation. In the book of Revelation, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, 11, it says, they triumphed, and there's the word Niki. They triumphed. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. What, what did they have to do with the blood of the Lamb? They just pointed to it. They believed in it. And by the word of their testimony, which is faith, that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They became an overcomer. Have you ever watched a big dog be intimidated by a little dog? It's the funniest thing in the world. You see this big dog prancing along, and, and along comes this little chihuahua. It's always chihuahuas. You know, if, if you have a chihuahua, I mean you no harm. Uh, but we had one. So I know that they're just attack, you know. And our own chihuahua attacked a German shepherd once, you know, and I just... And, and he, he was not intimidated. <laughs> he taught my chihuahua a lesson. <laughs> but if you've ever seen a big dog cower, here's this, and the big dog puts his tail between his legs and cowers back at this little rat. And it feels really, really awkward, right? You got that in your mind? That's you. You're the big dog. But it's a trial. It's a trial. Make it go away. But it's a testing. But it's a doubt. Make it go away. But it's sin. I I feel like a failure because of my sin. Make it go away. John wants you to know who you are. You are an overcomer. But it's not because of what you've done and never will be. It's because of what he has done and you put your faith into the cross and bam, you're an overcomer. What confidence John wants you and I to have as we go forward. So to bring this to a close, I don't have time to go into verses 6 through 10 that talk about the testimony. I'll do something with that perhaps next week. But I do want to jump down to verse 11 and 12. 
And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Can you say that? Whoever has the son has life. I don't know if you did well in algebra, but that's a perfect equation. If you have Jesus Christ, you have life. And whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Again, this is the testimony that you and I have. God has given us eternal life. And this is where we bring this to a close. Folks, you are going to live forever. Now, for some of us, that doesn't sound good. Because we, we think of all of our aches and pains and our fading memory and uh, what we can't do anymore, and we just think, wow, this goes on forever. <laughs> so there's two ways to think about eternal life, and both are part of it. One is quantity and one is quality. Quantity of life is usually, they use the word everlasting life, and that's used in the three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, over and over again. Quantity of life, and you, my friends, will live forever. You will never, ever die. Your body will pass away, and you will go on living forever with Jesus Christ. Forever. Did I say forever? Forever. And ever. And ever. Dwight L. Moody once said to his congregation, one day you're going to read in the Chicago newspapers that Dwight L. Moody has died. Don't you believe it? <laughs> I'll be more alive than ever before. So what are we going to be doing forever and ever and ever and ever? And it is not Groundhog Day. That would not be good doing the same thing over and over again with Bill Murray. <laughs> so the other side of everlasting life is quality of life. And this is the word that's usually used by John uniquely, which is zoe. Um, or we call our, our daughters sometimes zoe. It's the word zoe, which is quality of life. Not just quantity, but quality everything good about God and his creation that you could ever imagine, better than the Garden of Eden. So whatever flowers, whatever animals, whatever beauty, whatever glory you imagine God creating, it's more. And at the center of it is the face of God himself, Revelation 22, and we will see his face. And because you believe, there it is, you are an overcomer even of death itself. Oh, grave, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? We are overcomers. We have checkmate on life. If the law once says to us that it has done around the world against our brothers and sisters in persecution. If you don't renounce Christ, you will die. We say, okay. Then I go to be with Jesus. 
And then they say, well, if you want to live, then unless you renounce Jesus Christ, or you want to die, then unless you renounce Jesus Christ, we're going to make you live. Okay. Paul spells this out in Philippians chapter 1, where he says, I have checkmate on life. I don't know whether I'm going to live or die, but it doesn't matter because I'm a victor and I am going to live forever. That is who you are. Folks, you are not a tiny little dog. You are a monster. And whatever's coming our way, we should not be intimidated because the wreath has been placed on us. So little buddy... Let's put that Reese picture back up. Little buddy, what's your problem? Is it sin? Christ is the answer. Put your faith in him. Is it temptation? Christ is the answer. Trust him. Is it condemnation? Christ is the answer. Is it trials? Is it emotion? What is it? We put our faith in him and we become the overcomer, conqueror, winner. And God has predecided it before the end of your life, before the finish line. He has predecided you're already an overcomer. You already are confident. You already are the winner. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have done it all. You crossed the finish line and you gave us the wreath. And so, Lord, we put our trust in you. We believe that you died for our sins, Jesus. We believe you rose from the dead. And we believe that we will now live forever and ever. Thank you for the truth of the gospel, for shoring up uh, our faith in the midst of doubts and fears. And we tell you as we go into this time of communion, Lord, we believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.